Russians are coming, or are they? British troops are being offered anthrax jabs, and the UK's chemical warfare lab, Porton Down, is getting a refit. The Defence Secretary has this to say. The Kremlin is ripping up the international rulebook. What next? And has NATO backed Britain? Thousands of British soldiers will have the opportunity to be vaccinated against anthrax poisoning as a direct response to the nerve agent attack on the former spy Sergei Skripal in Salisbury. The Defence Secretary Gavin Williamson made the announcement in a speech earlier today where he also said this. We're investing £48 million in a new chemical weapons defence centre to maintain our cutting edge in chemical analysis and defence. We brought together defence's world-renowned explosive ordnance expertise with chemical, biological, radiological and nuclear specialists. The Prime Minister is kicking 23 Russian intelligence officers out after Moscow failed to give answers to questions about the use of the Novichok nerve agent in the attack. The Defence Secretary had this to say about Russia. The Kremlin is ripping up the international rulebook, using its growing hybrid capabilities to subvert undermine and influence countries around the world. Its cyber operations are active and brazen. It uses social media to muddy the waters and spread confusion. Well, I'm joined by Dan Ashby from Feature Story News in Moscow, Professor Michael Clark, the former Director General of the Royal United Services Institute, and Christopher Lee, BFBS Defence Analyst. Um, Dan Ashby, uh, Gavin Williamson says the Russians are ripping up the rule book, but doesn't Russia make its own rules already? Yes, exactly. I mean, certainly here in Moscow, there is absolutely no acceptance of any involvement in the Skripal affair, and the rhetoric has just been going up all day, all week, in fact. Uh, just lately, they've said that Britain uh, exceeds every rule of decency. They are denying anything to do with this. They uh, are claiming that this is a British stitch-up to discredit Russia's hosting of the World Cup. Uh, and Lavrov, the foreign minister here, has already started hinting, telling state media that Russia will do like for like, tit for tat, and expel British diplomats as well. So Russia is certainly playing the, the victim card, saying this is a classic Western intervention to discredit Russia. Of course, that plays very well for President Putin ahead of Sunday's election. Uh, so he will be getting some capital out of this. But yes, uh, complete denial, a completely different story here in Moscow. So Russia playing the victim card, but will any of these actions actually hurt Russia? Well, I think Russia would be nervous about economic sanctions. Of course, all those sanctions came in after Crimea. That has hurt the economy here. So if this escalates to, a, to an economic fight, then they'd be worried about that. But diplomatic standoff with Britain, they're very relaxed. I mean, relations, as you know, have been deteriorating between Moscow and Britain for years. And of course, as I said, it plays well in the polls. So I think they'll be willing to lose a few diplomats in Britain in exchange for kicking out some in Russia. They will be watching very carefully, though, how the whole international community reacts and will be nervous if this turns economic. Mm, Professor Michael Clark, um, I want to talk to you about why British soldiers need an anthrax jab. First, though, let's hear what the Defence Secretary told Forces News earlier. It will be for high readiness forces. It will be voluntary. What we want to do is make sure that those high readiness forces, we often, we don't know where in the future that they will be deployed. But it's really important that as Defence Secretary, I make sure that they're protected 
uh, to the very highest standards. Uh, as I say, it's going to be their choice as to whether they want to have it or not, but I think it's important they do have that option. So, uh, Michael Clark, uh, let's not kid ourselves that an anthrax jab is the answer to chemical weapons. What do you think of this announcement? No, it's, it's partly made for uh, effect as well, but um, undoubtedly, I mean, anthrax is a very nasty um, chemical um, and, and it's a spore and it's a respiratory, it creates respiratory problems. It's relatively easy to detect quickly and it's relatively easy to combat if you can catch it quickly. So um, it doesn't have to be a, a huge problem to soldiers if, they're, if they've got the jab. <clears throat> and obviously you can't, with all the Gulf War syndrome, problem still really hanging over the army, even though there's no proof that Gulf War syndrome really does exist. Um, nevertheless, the army is very wary of making anything like this compulsory. So they want to offer it to people. And of course, if the high readiness forces, particularly those who are any, at any moment are in 16th Air Assault Brigade, if they want to be deployed, which undoubtedly they will, they would want to have the jab. If they haven't had the jab and, and they are deployed, then those individuals almost certainly wouldn't go. Um, so th there is some good, good reason for this. It shows that Britain is prepared to deploy forces quickly should the need arise. And that's, in a sense, a, a message, not just to our adversaries, but also to our allies. Mm, Christopher Lee, what about uh, the UK's relations with Russia? How long do you think this dip will last? Well, it's only a dip. And, and a lot of things we're seeing, we've seen it lots before. We've seen so you say, is it not that serious then if you say it's only a dip? No, that's not what I said at all. No. And let me tell you, I'll just put this in some sort of, uh, some sort of uh, perspective. Uh, let's think about the Russians not liking the, the, the financial side of this. There are 26 boards in the city of London at the moment, uh, commercial boards, who are Russians. Mm. They all have British directors on board. There's a lot of both sides could lose money on this. On anthrax, we've been, you know, frontline troops have been using or having anthrax jabs since the 1991 uh, operation, like, you know, Kuwait, uh, Iraq. So there's nothing new in that. What is perhaps new is, is the timing, uh, timing of the whole thing. What we still haven't sorted out, and this to some extent gets the, uh, what's the thing in perspective? We still haven't worked out why this has happened now. That's very, very important. Does that mean there's a, 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 a difference what's going on in, in Moscow or not? We, don't, we haven't that out. Why was it a nerve agent used? Why didn't you just shoot the guy or, or you know, run him over with a, with a motor car or something like that? Uh, and the other thing, which is the most important thing, is, is that Putin regards United Kingdom as a sort of third world country with nukes. Uh, the United Kingdom, as far as he is concerned, is of no consequence because there's nothing that the United Kingdom can do by itself that will make any much difference, apart from kicking out 23 guys. And what a lot of people don't know, it's not a question of just filtering them back in. It takes years to build up the sort of contacts that those characters had and the ability to work as those uh, if intelligence officers worked out of the Soviet or out of the Russian embassy. And that's particularly important. This is a damaging thing to do. These people were unlisted. They worked up in a trade ministry up in Highgate, and et cetera, et cetera. And the other thing to remember, and I think is, is, is that NATO just today has stood up. This is what Britain wanted more than the United States. NATO stood up and said, this was bad news by the Russians. 
and we will stand by the United Kingdom and go along within reason. And there was a council meeting in Brussels today which confirmed that, and that's the important bit. What will NATO do? It's done it. Dan Ashby in, in uh, Moscow, what kind of reaction is coming from Moscow about that NATO response? Well, just more frustration um, and, of course, painting everyone together is this phrase, the West. Uh, they just keep using more and more superlatives here. They describe the whole thing as a circus show. But you can certainly sense their nervousness and a slight stepping up of tension as this goes more international. They were keen to put their points across to the UN uh, to argue against NATO. But they're painting both the EU and NATO's reaction as just tiptoeing to the UK, if you like. And of course, they're accusing the UK of, of having ulterior motives to discredit the World Cup. Um, you even have Russian anchors going on primetime shows and saying that traitors should be careful if they go to the UK. They might suddenly find their life expectancy shorter. So it is, like I say, a, a completely different reaction, but they are watching NATO carefully. Mm. Professor Michael Clark, Christopher asked that question, why now? Do you have any thoughts on that? Not especially, because I, I think this will have been authorised at the, at the most senior level, and you can't believe that Mr Putin didn't know that these things were about to happen. Whether he knew that it was going to happen to Skripal is a different issue. I think generically he said, go out and get these people, and Skripal, uh, his time came now because they could get to him. Um, what's even more interesting is that now that we know that the agent was uh, Novichok, which is this very nasty agent, and it lasts a very long time, and you don't recover. That's the point. Whatever nerve damage is done by it is more or less permanent. And again, you see, they could have used to make more lethal. The fact is that you know this man and his daughter are still alive a week later. Um, they could have used something much more uh, immediately lethal, but they chose not to. Novichok is very specific, and so you can't help but think that this is meant to be a warning. Um, that this is meant to actually grab the headlines in Britain for a long time to communicate to the other Russian uh, emigres and uh, you know Russian oligarchs that may have fallen out with the Kremlin who are living here. Novichok, by the way, Novichok, I think, and Daniel told us this, Novichok means uh, new, newcomers. These are new systems, new agents. There's probably about 100 yes. of them. And the important thing is that they've chosen to use one that will, that will cause most damage and bring to the attention, as Mike says, to people who might have sort of nervous state and might be thinking of other things. There are still people living in London and one in particular, a uh, former intelligence officer living in Bristol, that will be keeping out of sight at the moment. And that's particularly important. But it still makes it, we still don't get the answer of why now. Mm. My guess is somebody that was betrayed at the time uh, Skirpal uh, uh, was active, has now got to such a senior rank and is reflecting on Putin's uh, statement, I can forgive most things in my life except betrayal. Mm. Dan, but, uh, go on so I think We have to remember that the, the, the Kremlin is very close now to certain elements of the Russian mafia. So it's impossible to separate the government from some of the mafia activities that, that take place. Mm. Dan Ashby, um, what does Russia value the most in terms with its relations with other countries? Does it simply not care? 
well, I was about to say uh, Russian public opinion, um, which of course is in relations with other countries. I, th I think it, it, look, I think Russia wants to play its own role as a superpower. And there is this sense that the West is just biased against Russia. And every time Russia makes a move in Syria or plays its part in the rest of the world, it gets castigated. Uh, however, uh, throughout the years, you get Russian denying anything, the Russian the Kremlin denying absolutely anything. So it is very hard to get a sense of uh, how it will engage with serious problems and serious accusations because it will never admit any involvement. So, But when you think about these international problems, and particularly this one, think about that Putin cares most about uh, the election. He has said so himself and how things play out. He, of course, is denying any involvement. But nonetheless, he has said this is a sideshow. All I care about is the election. Mm. All right, Dan Ashby, we'll leave it there for now. That's Dan Ashby from Feature Story News. Thank you. Well, while the British government steps up sanctions against Russia in the UK, in Eastern Europe, they are continuing to deploy troops to counter Russian aggression. Enhanced Forward Presence is the name of the NATO mission set up in the wake of the annexation of Crimea. In Poland, that involves the deployment of 150 British troops on Operation Cabrit. Ali Gibson reports from Bemovo Piski. British troops patrol across the frozen ground. They've been out on the Bomovo Piski training area in northeast Poland for 60 hours on constant alert. There's a reason. This is just a competition, but it's rehearsing skills for that worst-case scenario, how Poland could defend itself. Operation Cabrit is the British contribution to NATO's enhanced forward presence preventing Russian aggression against Poland, Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia. Major Dan Lenher is the OC of B Squadron, the Light Dragoons. 150 of his soldiers make up the current British contribution to the US-led battle group. By the virtue of the fact that we're here with four different national flags under the US banner at the moment, that then itself is a statement and a good NATO statement. We conduct regular training, building up the credibility of the NATO forces here, which means that we're, we're always ready. Bumovo Piski was once a transit camp, but now it's a fundamental part of the NATO deterrence mission. Kaliningrad is just 60 miles away, Belarus 90. Between those two countries, there are fears that Russia could seize a piece of land called the Sawalki Gap. This would separate Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia from Poland and the rest of Europe. Last year, when the first US battle group deployed here, the message from their commander, Lieutenant Colonel Steve Gventa, was clear. You never start a fight, but you always finish it. We'll always be prepared to do that, and uh, that's not our desire. You know, God forbid there is uh, aggression against our alliance. Uh, and if it happens, uh, we're, we're trained, we're supplied and resourced properly, uh, and we're, we're fully ready to do what we need to do. The current U.S. deployment are known as the Wolf Pack, the third squadron of the 2nd Cavalry Regiment. Their objective for Operation Atlantic Resolve is to deter and defend. Operations Officer Major Ryan Duffy. The threat is very real. We are on an alert status, so uh, we are prepared to respond. So that, and we, we test those systems and training regularly, so that keeps it very fresh and real for them. Just last December, Defence Secretary Gavin Williamson and Prime Minister Theresa May reaffirmed defence cooperation with Poland, signing a new treaty. It's something that's welcomed here. Sergeant Luke Mikowalczyk is from the Polish 15th Mechanised Brigade. I think that the UK soldiers served uh, in a lot of places in the world. 
that's why they are much more ex uh, experienced than, than we. We can learn it from them. The Brits have currently pledged to stay here until 2020. For the US forces, they don't yet have an end date. Until then, Battle Group Poland spend their days preparing for what could happen in the hope that it never does. That was Ali Gibson reporting from Poland. Uh, Christopher Lee, are the Russians really coming? I'll tell you one thing to remember. Um, when Putin was a young officer in the KGB, it would have been the then Soviet army that would have been exercising with the Polish. So when he sees us exercising with the Polish, he looks and says, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. This is absolutely wrong. Michael Clark, do you, do you think the Russians or President Putin is wound up by what's going on in Eastern Europe in terms of our deployments? Um, I don't think he's wound up about it necessarily, but what the Russians see is that the NATO, they feel, is, is reinvigorating itself, and they don't like that idea. And the, the, the point is the Russians have got an opportunity. I don't, I don't think they've created this opportunity, but it is there in front of them, that they've got a, a, they've got a, a big role now in Syria. They've got a port in the eastern Mediterranean. They've got friends now in southeastern Europe, in Bulgaria, in Romania, and Slovakia. And they're, and they're conducting a charm offensive towards them. And then you go north into Europe, where they're putting a lot of pressure on Poland and the Baltic states. So here's the scenario. The Russians make some sort of move which puts a small hole, just a small hole, in the Article 5 guarantee in relation to the Baltics. Mm -hmm. The rest of NATO doesn't respond to that small hole because it seems too dangerous. And then the southern European states, the bigger states like Romania and Slovakia and, and Bulgaria say, I'm not sure being in NATO is doing as much good. And they start to behave more like Finland did in the Cold War. And so that Putin has the opportunity from northern Europe right through to the Mediterranean, maybe, maybe, to create a sort of permissive environment which creates disunity among the Western allies, makes the Americans so frustrated with its European allies that effectively they go home. And then Putin's got a pretty free hand for trying to recreate the old influence, the area of influence, the sphere of influence that the old Soviet Union had. You know, I didn't know you were a Kremlin advisor there, Michael, but you sound just like one. It's an interesting thought, isn't well, it? That's a possibility. All of that is possible. Whether they'll do it or not, I don't know. But it all it all could click together in a way that it wouldn't have done five years ago. And NATO and the European Union and the United States, they recognise it, but we're not actually doing enough to make that an impossible scenario. Sit with Kate Still to come, out with the oil boss and in with the Secret Service chief. Why Trump has replaced Tillerson as his Secretary of State. And why MPs are asking the hacks what they think of the MOD. PFBS SIPREP. You're fired. The words Donald Trump made famous in his TV show, The Apprentice, but now he's firing for real and the people in the crosshairs are those he appointed to the top jobs in Washington. The latest is his Secretary of State. We'd call him Foreign Secretary Rex Tillerson. It was done by tweet at 5.30am. Tillerson doesn't do Twitter, but he soon found out what on earth is going on. Uh, Christopher, this time last year, Trump said he wanted to clean out the Washington swamp, but he's firing people he hired and some are quitting before they are tweeted What's going on? Uh, it, it's what happens in the, in, in, in the White House, and it certainly happens in this man's White House. I mean, what is particularly interesting uh, now is how he's decided that some of the things that his Secretary of State was putting together were wrong, especially Iran. 
and there is a, a meeting very, very shortly, in fact, uh, I think it might even be tomorrow, of the people, including the United Kingdom, France and Germany, who have to discuss the future of the agreement with Iran about nuclear weapons, mm. and, and, and he is saying that is all wrong. What is particularly interesting is there is a man called Mike uh, Pompeo. The replacement. And he has been running the CIA. And Mike Pompeo's attitude, unlike Tilson's, who was who is a sort of, you know, a good diplomat, an Exxon oil diplomat, all oil executives are diplomats. Uh, Mike Pompeo's got a very simple attitude. Every country outside of the United States is bad news. It's outside of the United States. Even allies are not to be trusted. Now, this is more or less repeating the sort of phrases in, in different language mm. that you heard from Trump, uh, Trump all the way through the election. And I think we, we can perhaps see something changing. And mm. don't forget the United Kingdom watches American foreign policy because we may not sort of just sit down with it mm. but it affects what we do. Indeed, uh, Michael Clark, do you think that this new alliance between Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo is going to have a big impact on foreign policy? It may well because as Christopher said, Mike Pompeo is much more like uh, President Trump in his attitudes. If you look at what he actually has said and done on uh, North Korea, on Guantanamo Bay, and not closing Guantanamo over his opposition to the deal with Iran, the, uh, the the nuclear deal, his attitude to Israel, he is he is very similar. He makes very very similar statements to President Trump. And remember that um, before he became CIA director, he was a member of the Tea Party group of Republican uh, representatives. So he was a right wing Republican before he became a Trumpist. Uh, and I think we'll see at least a toughening of the attitude. And the problem is, you know, what is there to set against that? You know, the realities of po foreign policy are such that you can't really be so hard over all the time. Mm -hmm. But the fact is the State Department is empty. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, th there are so few senior people in the State Department that, that, that you know, there is a possibility that, uh, that, that it will kind of go into a, a, into a sort of a, a nosedive uh, in terms of its ability to influence events. And you watch on Monday morning when Mike Pompeo gets in there, he's after the blood of another man. He's after another uh, another Tilson man, who is Brian Hook. And um, Brian Hook is the State Department's policy planning unit, and he really thinks in the in the way that his predecessor. And he'll go if he goes. You're going to double, as I say, this sort of attitude uh, that all all foreigners are, 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 are bad for us. But it's also something which is which is particularly important now. And that is that the relationship with China, China is not as 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 Trump has described it. Uh, it is one of the most important countries in the world. We know for all sorts of obvious reasons, but it is coming apace. It's also moving in a big way into Africa. Now, Mike Pompeo's comments on Africa have been such a thing. Where is Africa? It doesn't bother us. It hasn't got anything we want. It does have a lot that the Americans want, but they haven't realized it then. So I think there's a sense of sort of rhetoric and amateurism that could be taking over defense or and, and foreign policy planning at the State Department, which could be, you know, could be quite dangerous for the, for the United States and therefore the rest of us. Uh, just hearing that the U.S. is uh, imposing fresh sanctions on Russia for election meddling. Um, Mike Clark, your thoughts on that? Yes, I mean, they can't ignore this now. I mean, President Trump is very embarrassed by that and he doesn't talk about it himself very directly. But the fact is, the, the, the evidence is overwhelming 
and uh, Mueller, Special Counsel Mueller, is coming up with all sorts of information. It's implicating a lot of people. Mm. And so the United States has got to be seen to react. And I think, you know, reluctantly, interestingly uh, as well, when there is criticism of Russia to be made, even the White House, just mm. as a White House spokesman or spokesperson, which we, and so we assume that President Trump agrees with it, but he never tweets about it, he never talks about it himself. Even he keeps on trying to distance himself from what he said within the White House, mm. let alone what he said in the State Department. And so, in a sense, America is being kicked dragging and screaming mm. towards a, a better realisation of what Russian policy really is these days. Mm. Now, this week has been all about defence and foreign policy. The watchdog of British defence is the House of Commons Defence Committee. But does anyone really care what they say? On Tuesday, the committee heard evidence from three defence journalists on their relationships with the military and the MOD itself. Well, one of them was Alistair Bunkle from Sky News, who joins us now. Hi, Alistair. The committee really wants to know if the MOD tries to make it difficult for you to write defence stories, does it? No, um, they don't obstruct what we do. Uh, we often want to do more than they can offer or they might want to allow. Invariably... You can normally come to some sort of agreement. So I have reported from and filmed inside the likes of Port and Down. Uh, a couple of years ago, we became the first TV crew ever to go in there. We've been on nuclear submarines. Um, I've been to the secret drone base in the Middle East. I was in GCHQ uh, a couple of weeks ago. So you can always come to some sort of agreement um, eventually. And when it comes to the day-to-day -day stuff, uh, it's always sort of six of one, half a dozen of the other. Um, we will ask them for help or advice or, or access to something. Sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. And how do you find your relationship between the individual services themselves? A lot of that is channeled through the MOD. I mean, we will obviously retain contacts with the individual services uh, and speak to them on on and off, uh, depending on, on what you might want to talk about, sometimes formally, sometimes informally, uh, often off the record. Uh, I think if they want to do anything uh, on camera, it would have to go through the MOD. And invariably these days, going through the MOD means going through Downing Street. They want to have the final say. What does the MOD need to do from your point of view to get good stories about the forces to the public? Take more risks. Don't be so worried about bad news. It will always happen. Things are never perfect. I mean, you'll always get... Um, some. Someone will say the wrong thing that will make headlines for a day. But take a bit of risk. You know, I mean, eventually... I mean, the armed forces have got a very good story to tell. The overall narrative will always be a positive one. Don't worry about the odd uh, the odd sort of own goal or the, or, or, or the odd thing that's going to go wrong. Uh, show us what's going on as well. There are... A lot of deployments around the world at the moment. There's tens, of, uh, there's about 10,000 uh, British troops deployed around the world in some form or the other uh, in 26 different operations, 25 different countries. You know, bang my door down and, and ask hmm. me to come and film them uh, and show them. Do, do you actually think the committee, though, makes any difference at all in the way the MOD goes about its business? Has it got teeth, do you think? Yeah, I do. I think the... Uh, committee gets good coverage, um, certainly from us and the newspapers. I think the committee can drive or add to a narrative, and that in turn can sort of add to policy-making decisions. It can call people to uh, come and give evidence in front of them and therefore hold them to account. They've had some successes, like the closure of IHAT, I think they would say is partly attributable to some of the work they've done. Uh, the Defence Committee, like any select committee, cannot make policy. It can't force the government to do anything, but it can be very influential and a, and a, and a big pressure on the government. All right, Alistair Bunkle, we'll leave it there for now. That's Alistair Bunkle from Sky News. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Michael Clark, your thoughts. Do you, do you think the Defence Committee ha has teeth? Does it make a difference? 
it does at sometimes and not at others. It's all a matter of time and chance. So different committees with different and the, and the membership changes quite a lot because people move around in Parliament. Um, and so sometimes the committee has got has got a lot of people on it who are very interested and very good at the detail. Other times less so. And then its power is really time and chance. You know, mm. if, if they re release a report when there's a royal scandal, then it, 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 gets, it gets buried. If it goes with the trend of events, then it can have quite an impact. Mm. Now, we started this programme today talking about Russia. We're going to end today talking about Russia, but actually in relation to an important anniversary, the seventh anniversary of the conflict in Syria, Christopher Lee. Yeah, 400,000 casualties, millions of people displaced, um, and the interesting thing, if you if you if you want to see who's winning or thinks they're winning, Assad is in the position where he's going into the last phase of trying to regain his country, and the Russians, coming back to where we started, are sitting there saying, "Well, we may not want to be there in the way that we are at the moment, but we've established the fact that we will do when we say we will do." I mean, this is an aside to this. The boots on the ground are being supplied by uh, General Salman's uh, people from Iran. But nevertheless, that is an establishment mm. which sets them up to some extent in the, mid in the midst, although not entirely popular. Um, have they, therefore, the Russians, torn up the rule book? No, nobody's got a rule book. They are writing the rule book. Mm. Uh, and uh, we have to, therefore, look around and say, somebody, somebody has benefited from what happened in Salisbury. And I tell you who it is. It's the military lobby, the generals, etc., who said the Russians are coming, we need more money. And they've come. So their argument is stronger. And there we'll have to leave it for today. Our thanks to Professor Michael Clark from the Roy former Director General of the Royal United Services Institute and to all of our guests. That's all we have time for. Can, you can tweet us at BFBS SITREP. You can subscribe to the show as a podcast. I'm Kate Chabot. Back same time next week. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye for now. The best of British news, sport and entertainment for the British forces overseas. This is BFBS Radio 2. Radio 2. The Defence Secretary.